0: Washington, D.C. This is On the Ground. For this show, part two of our presentation of some of the 16,000 residents of D.C. who offered testimony in June about cutting the half-billion-dollar budget for the district's Metropolitan Police Department.
1: Well, what happens when the subject of the body camera video is dead? None of the proposed principles address these circumstances, but MPD audaciously, and I would say rather provocatively, told Marquise's mother, Ms. Keneathia Alston, that her dead son has to request the footage himself. Shame on you, MPD.
0: We spend the hour hearing from residents of the most policed city in the U.S. Parents, teachers, lawyers, activists, and others speak out about policing and how they think their tax dollars should be spent for human needs and safety.
2: If police are the only public institution that consistently receives budget increases while every other public service is cut, we cannot be surprised when we end up with a police state. I don't know what else to call it when tear gas, a chemical weapon, is used against protesters. What else do you call it when Black people are regularly under terror from police?
0: Welcome to On the Ground, ground OnTheGroundShow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Ivarum. Well, there is continued fallout around the country and here in Washington, D.C., in the aftermath of the murder of George Floyd by Minneapolis police in May. On August 5th, the union representing D.C. police filed a lawsuit against the district, claiming that a provision in emergency policing legislation passed in June by the D.C. Council violates the rights of police officers. The law rests control of the officer discipline process away from DC's police union, removing the union from intervening in proceedings against police officers accused of misconduct and brutality. Even police chief Peter Newsham has stated in the past that the old law made it too difficult to fire bad cops. The emergency legislation also includes several other new accountability measures And protections for the public against police violence and take security of DC public schools out of the hands of the police department the emergency law will be reconsidered in the fall for public comment and a vote to make it permanent as for defunding the police in DC neither the emergency law nor the budget process did that this year though DC police and mayor Muriel Bowser were denied about 10 million dollars of the 18 million increase they requested in addition, that nearly $10 million will expand funding for violence interruption programs, restorative justice, and victims service work. Only 90 of the 16,000 people who submitted testimony could participate in the June 15th hearing. It was chaired by Councilmember Charles Allen, chair of the Council's Committee on the Judiciary and Public Safety. My
3: name is Guy Durant and I live in Ward 5. I'm a native Washingtonian. I attended D.C. public schools and I've witnessed some police abuses over time. And I do believe Black Lives Matter. Our D.C. budget reveals our true priorities. Don't lie to us and give lip service to Black Lives Matter and take away money from black and brown residents and give corporate welfare and tax giveaways to rich developers while not spending on public housing and public education and public health. Stop calling private developer housing, free of rent control, affordable housing. That's a lie. It's not, if it's not under rent control, it's not affordable housing. It's only temporary discounted housing. Rates will increase. Public housing, not policing, should be a budget priority. Notice I said public housing. Private housing is not affordable long term. D.C. must build and maintain public ownership of housing. Instead of going in the wrong direction, do not raise, but cut the D.C. police budget in half. Even if the city council was full of cowards that just wanted to freeze the budget, I can understand your cowardice, but you are so beaten down by the police union voices that you are considering raising the police budget. Wow. Are you crazy? Defund the police. What is wrong with you? Out of touch. City council clowns. Get the message. Cut the D.C. police budget. Got it. Good. I agree with Ed Lazier's campaign. He's running for at-large city council that lays out budget policy proposals that I completely agree with in principle. Please reference his ideas as my own as well. To truly reduce crime, we must reduce poverty and greater public safety includes and must mean a greater public safety net. Spend less on D.C. police and at least don't increase spending and put more funds on prevention of crime, social service, and social workers. Do you know that we lock up soap in most CVS stores because poor people have to steal soap? But D.C. Medicaid won't cover soap as a medical expense, but yet we tell D.C. residents to wash their hands to avoid the spread of COVID. So if a poor person steals soap to save their lives from COVID, we then lock them up in jail where they are guaranteed to get and spread COVID. Our safety doesn't require police. It requires social workers and common sense reductions in poverty. Instead of police responding to nonviolent 911 calls, send EMS and social workers. Finally, and strategically, cut the D.C. police budget in half by not sending nor allowing D.C. police to respond to 911 calls to any federal property or building, nor to arrest and any federal crimes for Congress or other federal places. And this is situation we have. Postal police, Metro police, Capitol Hill police. Why are D.C. police protecting them? Let Congress fund that. And that if you cut that budget, then Congress may give you more money. But you're not doing
4: it. You're not strategic. Thank you. Thank you very much. Next up, we have uh, Abel Berhanu. And if I mispronounce that, please correct me. Video is good. And so whenever you're ready to begin. Thank you. My name is Abel Berhanu and I'm a
2: Ward 7 resident. First, defunding the police is not a call to let chaos reign. It is a call to pour our resources into the causes of harm and healing them. With this fiscal year budget, we have to begin the process of expanding and creating institutions that are better suited to deal with housing insecurity, sexual assault, and ending poverty. Reform is not what we are seeking. And this is not a semantic argument. It is about the attitude with which we approach this issue. If we approach this as a set of rules that we just tweak to make the perfect police department, we will always see loopholes and rules that cops just sidestep around. The attitude we have to have is to address the underlying causes of harm to eliminate the need for policing in the first place. It is an ambitious goal, but what is the alternative? Police are one of the few public services that receive almost consistent budget increases in D.C. and all over the country. With the national militarization of our police forces and the further far-right swing in national politics and no end in sight to Black, Brown, and trans people dying at the hands of police officers, I sincerely fear for the future of our country. If police are the only public institution that consistently receives budget increases while every other public service is cut, we cannot be surprised when we end up with a police state. I don't know what else to call it when tear gas, a chemical weapon, is used against protesters. What else do you call it when Black people are regularly under terror from police? And that is our societal norm. Finally, I'd like to say that we have heard lots of testimony and haven't heard thousands of testimonies from other people who submitted it. The vast majority of uh, them are in support of decreasing the police budgets. The only people we've heard speak out uh, in support of increasing these budgets are of course the chair of a police union and the vice president of a wealthy real estate company. The wealthy folks that benefit directly from over-policing, gentrification and our current racial caste system will probably not stand with the vast majority of district residents seeking justice. But just listen to how many people are unified on this. This is the public's desire, and I urge the council and the mayor to act on
4: it. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um, And then next we have Amy Phillips. Uh, Amy, I can see you. I just unmute, and then whenever you're ready to begin.
5: My name is Amy Phillips. I've been a district resident for more than 15 years. I've also been waiting for more than 18 months for responses to Freedom of Information Act requests that I've filed about police officers in the district who've committed serious acts of violence and misconduct, but who remain on MPD's payroll, and still waiting. Many others at this hearing have given compelling testimony about better ways that we can spend $500 million that we currently spend on policing. And I think it's important that we think about this as the amount of money that we're spending, and think about what information we would ask of any other agency, anyone else who came to our city and asked for half a billion dollars Because that's information we don't have from the police, and it's information that MPD has worked to actively hide from district residents. In 2016, the council passed the NEAR Act, which should have given us access to a wealth of data about how MPD is spending that half a billion dollars. MPD simply ignored that law. They had to be sued to even begin collecting the data, and we still haven't seen the results. But there are other sources of information that we should have before we disperse money to the police department that we don't have access to. The United States Attorney's Office, the prosecutor for the district, keeps a list of officers who have proven untrustworthy, either because they've provided false information during an investigation, because they've committed serious misconduct, or because they've lied under oath. We still pay those officers salaries, and MPD has fought in court to help federal prosecutors keep that list of officer misconduct a secret. In fact, we heard testimony earlier in this hearing on behalf of the D.C. Police Union from a former detective who was the lead investigator the last time MPD made mass arrests during a protest in 2017. That detective was involved in the suppression and selective editing of exculpatory video in those cases, which ultimately ended with the dismissal of all charges against the arrestees. MPD keeps its own list of officers who have been convicted of crimes or found to have committed misconduct that if you or I committed it, would bar us from even applying to become police officers. MPD keeps data on those officers, and they won't release it publicly. There was a hearing last year where an MPD officer was fired for committing two different sexually inappropriate searches of two different Black men during the same shift. And multiple MPD officers testified at that hearing that they too had been trained to commit similar sexual searches. MPD has fought for over a year against releasing the names of the officers who gave sworn testimony that they believe such searches are appropriate. And as far as we know, they remain employed with MPD. Black residents and organizations of people of color have told us that MPD doesn't keep them safe. And if any of us are not safe, then none of us are. We cannot continue to give money to a city agency that believes it's above civilian oversight. And before the council gives away half a billion dollars, we should demand answers to these questions. Thank you.
4: Thank you all very much. Um, again, appreciate you taking time this afternoon and for your testimony today. All right, as we move to our next panel of public witnesses, Helen Schiedinger, organizer with Witness Against Torture. So whenever you're ready to join us, you can begin.
6: Thank you, and good afternoon. My name is Helen Schiedinger, and I've lived in D.C. for 30 years. I support the recommendations to defund and divest from the MPD, And here's what I have to say to the city council. First, if you're not outraged, you're not paying attention. If you aren't part of the solution, you're part of the problem. If the council authorizes Mayor Bowser's budget, you're authorizing the continuation of a dirty, rotten system. You're saying it's okay for the police department to continue defending its violence against the people of D.C. behind a blue wall of secrecy. You have to throw out the system that corrupts or silences officers. Mostly they're good moral people who came into the police force with hopes and dreams of being useful in their community. But they work in a culture of policing that is racist and toxic to its core, despite the rhetoric of leadership. I'm white. Ordinarily, I don't fear the police, but I have friends whose lives have been devastated by police. When the son of my friend, Marion Gray Hopkins, was shot by the police, her life was shattered. Marian still doesn't know what really happened to Gary because of the shroud of secrecy around law enforcement. She founded the Coalition of Concerned Mothers to help other mothers heal from the same unspeakable tragedy she had experienced. In coalition gatherings, I've heard mothers speak about their murdered children. I've seen their outpourings of love and support for each other, the attempts to transform their terrible grief into something positive and good. It's heartbreaking. I speak for my friends and neighbors because I'm outraged. Let me tell you a story. One day, a young man whom I've known well for 15 years returned from walking his dogs in the park down the street. He told me that a policeman had just jumped out of his car and run toward him with his gun drawn. The officer had been looking for a burglar, and my friend apparently fit the description. He was black and male. He was less upset than I was because he expects that sort of treatment by the police. I say this has to stop, and it hasn't stopped simply because we elect black politicians and hire black police officers. Rayshard Brooks was shot in the back by police in Atlanta, where the mayor is a black woman and the police chief was a black woman. The U.S. system of policing is corrupt. The police union is more like a mafia than a labor organization. Establishing a real community safety in this country requires a complete paradigm shift embodied in the demands of the movement to defund and divest from police. I say we should add a final paradigm shift. No amount of de-escalation training in the classroom can erase years of preparation to use deadly force. So I say not only divest from the police, but divest the police from guns. Weapons kill. If police aren't issued guns or tear gas or stun guns, they're less likely to wound or kill people of color. It's time for Black Lives Matter to be more than just words on the pavement. Thank you.
4: Okay,
7: thank you very much. Hello, my name is O.K. Uka. Um, I'm the lead organizer with Black Swan Academy, as well as the co-chair of the D.C. chapter of Black Youth Project 100, or D.C. Uh, BYP 100. Um, and I originally did have a testimony that I to write today, but Honestly, the idea of pleading my humanity to the greatest beneficiaries of state violence is like disgusting to me. Um, so I'm actually going to rescind my time. Um, but I would like to say that we need to defund MPD. We need to remove police from schools in DC and reject you guys' proposal for $25 million. As an educator, I've seen you guys increase the amount of metal detectors. In video cameras in schools, I think that is violent and unconscionable. And when I say abolish the police and remove police from our society and rethink of what police, like policing in general, I am talking about you, Charles Allen, Mary Shea, Robert White. You are the police. You are the police. You are the people who are allowing us to strip and siphon resources away from our communities under the guise of white fragile safety and that's done stop gaslighting the people stop gaslighting the people defund the mpd and stop this performance you know the people who are disproportionately being affected by police violence are not on this call right now and the fact that we have to come up here and articulate our humanity to you is violent and disgusting stop that defund mpd listen to the people. And stop with this performance. It's unnecessary. We know. We know the police protect you. We know the police protect your property. We know the police protect your businesses. The police. In all of its different form- formulations. Defund MPD because it is your duty. That's, that's all I have to say. Thank you.
4: For the dawn, mama took a knock, had to change the locks Dusted up and brushed off and I washed talk about a boss For the holders of a shred of heart, even when you wanna fall apart When you surrounded by the fog, treaded water in a ice cold dark When they got you feeling like a box, running from another pack of dogs
7: Put the pistol and the fist up in the air, we are dance, way to God Black child in America, the fact that I made this magic Black and beautiful, the world broke my mama hard and she got an addict God bless me to redeem in my thoughts, words, and my actions. Satisfaction for the devil, God damn it, he'll never ever have it. This is for the do-gooders that the no-gooders use and then abuse. For the truth-tellers tied to the whipping post, left beat that approved. For the ones whose body hung from a tree like a of strange fruit. Go hard, last word to the fast forward was...
8: Good afternoon, my name is Nathan Luking. I'm a clinical social worker at Anacostia High School through the Department of Behavioral Health School Mental Health Program. I'm also a delegate for my union, 1199 SEIU United Healthcare Workers East. Today, I'm testifying on behalf of our union, which is the largest healthcare union in the nation, representing over 450,000 healthcare workers across the East Coast, including District of Columbia. I come before you today because the district's healthcare workers know that there is an urgent need to reallocate substantial funds from MPD's budget into public health initiatives that effectively address two intersecting public health crises, the gun violence epidemic and the global coronavirus pandemic. We must invest in programs that treat gun violence as a public health emergency. During the 2018-2019 school year, Anacostria High School suffered the following losses. A ninth grader shot multiple times after school as he fled for his life. A beloved alumni, 21 years old, was shot and killed, and a 12th grader was shot and survived in critical condition. This year, we lost another ninth grader to gun violence, as well as another beloved alumni, just 21 years old. Of the aforementioned shootings, two were conducted within a block of the MPD 7th District Station, and one was in the presence of MPD officers at W and Green Street Southeast. During the calendar year of 2019, 56 violent crimes were reported within 1,500 feet of the MPD 7th District Station, six of which were homicides. Police presence has not proven to be an effective deterrent in the violence epidemic, which is why we must fund other options immediately. At the same time, the coronavirus pandemic has laid bare the healthcare inequalities in the district, where black residents make up 74% of COVID-19 deaths in the district. United Medical Center, the only hospital east of the river, continues to face staffing and funding shortages amidst the pandemic. Healthcare workers at St. Elizabeth Psychiatric Hospital in Ward 8 have faced severe PPE shortages and a lack of proper social distancing, resulting in widespread infections and 13 deaths. That's 13. We must allocate funds to high quality health care for all district residents. I implore the city's leadership to reinvest money from NPD's budget into initiatives that have proven record of inducing of reducing death and increasing positive health outcomes in the district. These programs include Cure the Streets, an evidence-based violence prevention program, which Mayor Bowser has planned to cut in the 2021 budget. We must also secure PPE, crisis pay, and benefits for the district's hospital and nursing home workers who continue to fight coronavirus pandemic. Finally, we must redirect funds to mental health care professionals and programs, which are integral to the district's recovery from both coronavirus pandemic and the gun violence epidemic. We are in intersecting crises. Young people are being gunned down in our streets and healthcare workers do not have what they need to properly fight the global pandemic. I am asking every elected official in the district to please support allocating funds from the MPD budget to fill the dire need for violence prevention healthcare in DC. Despite a wealth of resources, the MPD has proven to be an ineffective tool for promoting the health and safety of our residents.
4: The time has come to try a new approach. Thanks. Thank you very much. Uh, And now uh, Karthik.
9: Uh, my name is Dr. Karthik Balasabramanian, and unlike uh, 50% of MPD, I care enough about the District of Columbia to actually live here and pay taxes here. I live in Ward 6 and work in Ward 1. I have a modest proposal for OCFO to save hundreds of millions of dollars per year, fire the many MPD officers who had too little moral rectitude to speak out for the termination of the sickening glorification of violence and racism in MPD ranks. God bless the anti-racist and the force but for all of the others, I'll give you one of hundreds of stories of MPD complicity in the face of malevolence and malfeasance. On June 13, 2017, Vincent Altieri promulgated, propagated and promoted violent white supremacist terrorist ideology on our dime. It took a month and a half and thousands of people to sign a petition for the snollygoster, Peter Newsham, to proclaim that the racist paraphernalia did not quote unquote represent the hardworking and committed officers of the seventh district. But then in October, 2017, Peter concluded that Vincent somehow might not have known that the customized MPD branded shirt Vincent wore to our courthouse had symbols from a neo-Nazi website. Peter didn't even have the courage to name and terminate the vile perp who glorified and deified the brutalization of black people nor any of the at best feeble-minded so-called supervisors. Vincent deserves prison, not a pension. Not a peep from Gregory Pemberton of the D.C. Police Union or the FOP, which could now be more aptly described as a feckless order of perversity after their endorsement of a racist sex predator for president. Their silence is violence, and that has made a mockery of the ostensible mission to protect and serve. You can now draw a direct line from the original soldiers of slavery and segregation to the feckless cowards and neoconservative neo-con, neoconfederate apologists in our midst, from John C. Calhoun, Nathaniel Bedford Forrest, Bull Connor, and George Wallace, to now Donald Trump, Vincent Altieri, Peter Newsham, and Gregory Pemberton. All of these people have, have defiled and dishonored the founding values of our nation. These men are cowards, these men are leeches on our tax dollars, a fish rots from the head down. What kind of message does their cravenness send to D.C.'s black and brown communities? MPD actively does not give a damn about you. The only people in MPD that deserve a penny of my money are people with an IQ above 50 and the courage to be anti-racist. Also, it's about damn time to terminate MPD officials who don't wear a mask on duty. We need to stop subsidizing these super spreaders of savagery and sickness. I yield my time.
4: Thank you very much, Karthik. Um, all right, next, I've got uh, Rurik Asher-Bomron. Uh, video looks good, and I think you're unmuted, so whenever you're ready to begin.
10: Great. Thank you, Council Member. Thanks for the opportunity to give testimony today. My name is Rurik Bomron. I'm a student at George Washington University Law School, and I'm a member of the university's chapter of the National Lawyers Guild. After 400 years of white supremacist American policing, we are at a crossroads. Once again, the world watches as the United States subjects black people to the constant terror of racist violence. As countless scholars have noted, white supremacy is baked into the very structure of American policing. Indeed, the police originally operated as a system of slave patrols. Public opinion has radically transformed over the last three weeks. We all find it hard to believe that police actually keep us safe when they kill over 1,000 people every single year. We find it hard to believe the police actually keep us safe when the homicide rate in D.C. increases while the homicide clearance rate decreases. We find it hard to believe police keep us safe when 90% of reported violence committed by the Metropolitan Police Department is against Black people. We will not be fooled by reform. We know that body cameras, civilian review boards, and implicit bias training are ineffective because police departments with these same reforms killed George Floyd. Reform does not work. That is why we are calling on you to defund and replace the police with institutions that will actually keep us safe. We're calling on you to start being visionary leaders. The budget under consideration today is an astonishing failure of moral vision. The district faces a $1.5 billion revenue loss and increased violent crime, but inexplicably seeks a cut of $3.6 million from the Office of Victim Services and Justice Grants, a cut of $805,000 from ONSE's violence interruption program, and a $19 million increase to the police. The proposed budget offers $1.7 million to bring in an additional 50 cadets. The district's priorities are grossly out of step with the expressed wishes of district residents. Protesters literally risk their lives to demand that you defund the police and put an end to racist terror. To vote yes on this budget would be a lot like saying that black lives don't matter. Close the revenue gap by defunding the MPD and start increasing funding for violence interruption programs, which could serve as a viable alternative to policing in the future. Get the police out of our schools, demilitarize them, stop criminalizing survival, invest in care, not cops. Black lives matter. It's time that we started acting like it.
4: Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, Next up, we have Sydney Collins. Um, Looks like audio and video are good, so whenever you're ready to begin.
1: Good afternoon. My name is Sydney Collins, and I use she, her pronouns. I'm demanding that you defund and abolish the Metropolitan Police Department Every year, MPD insists upon its ability to reform itself with continued or increased funding, but scientific data show that the department's own proposed solutions for which it has requested more funding, like body-worn cameras and implicit bias or cultural competency trainings, are ineffectual. So I will be using my testimony to refute, with hard evidence, the unsubstantiated claims that Greg Pemberton, chair of the D.C. Police Union, made earlier in this hearing. During last week's hearing, Peter Newsham suggested more implicit bias trainings, However, in 2016, the Harvard university Safra Center for Ethics published a controlled study entitled Reducing Implicit Racial Preferences, Intervention and Effectiveness Across Time. Data showed that trainings did not change explicit racial preferences and were not reliably moderated by motivations to respond without prejudice. The National Library of Medicine database lists 92 studies just like this one. In January 2017, two years after rolling out its body-worn camera or BWC program, MPD partnered with the lab at DC to conduct a controlled, experiment, which concluded that law enforcement agencies considering adopting body-worn cameras should not expect dramatic reductions in documented use of force or complaints or other large-scale shifts in police behavior. The data are consistent with the real effect of body-worn cameras being anywhere from a decrease of 97 uses of force to an increase of 244 uses of force per 1,000 officers per year. This was interpreted to mean that body-worn cameras had no detectable, meaningful effect on documented uses of force, and this study and its findings were made available to all MPD officers in June 2017. So almost exactly a year later, still anonymous MPD officers murdered three men within a five-week span. Jeffrey Price was murdered on May 4th, 2018. Daquan Young was murdered on May 9th. And Marquise Alston was murdered on June 12th, 2018. Even if body-worn cameras had prevented these murders, the footage is still not available to the public. In fact, in October 2015, the Bowser administration detailed a set of principles regarding access to body-worn cameras footage which stated individuals who are the subjects of body camera video should have access to that video well what happens when the subject of the body camera video is dead none of the proposed articles principles address these circumstances but mpd audaciously and i would say rather provocatively told marquise's mother ms ganithia alston that her dead son has to request the footage himself shame on you mpd For these reasons and many others, the individuals who work as MPD officers cannot serve our communities as police because their current role has no place in a just society. Instead, these individuals could be trained to direct after school programs, coach sports teams and interrupt violence in empathic and trauma informed ways that uplift black Washingtonians instead of continuing to harm and murder them. I would like to end with our city's motto, Justicia Omnibus, Justicia para Todos, Justice for All, Black Lives Matter. Thank you.
0: You are listening to D.C. residents testifying before the D.C. Council about policing on June 15, 2020. Six weeks after the hearing, Mayor Muriel Bowser released heavily edited videos of the deaths of three black men, Jeffrey Price, Marquise Austin, and Daquan Young, all killed by the Metropolitan Police Department in the spring of 2018. Families along with their attorneys continue to call for a complete unredacted, unedited video footage of the murders. This is On the Ground, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital on Pacifica Radio. Stay with us.
11: My name is Hamza Butler, and I cannot stress enough how much I care for D.C., or more accurately, the Piscatawi territories and the people who reside here. I was born in D.C. and for many years raised in Ward 8, just down the street from Frederick Douglass' home. So many of the people who are dear to me have lived here, created homes here, and died here. This place is my heart. So it pains me to see the extent to which the city has forsaken its people. Our testimonies as D.C. residents are imperative. As Ida B. Wells put it, Those who commit to the murders write the reports. They arouse no great indignation and call forth no adequate demand for justice. Black folks are repeatedly traumatized when we are expected to move forward without memory of the lives we have lost or the ability to change the spaces we are coerced to live in. We do not forget Jeffrey Price, Daquan Young, Marquise Alton, Terrence Sterling, and Raphael Briscoe, who were all killed by the MPD between the years 2011 to 2019. There is no audacity like the audacity afforded to the state. Imagine my perplexion the first time I was caught outside of my name. Not a single Black soul owes the silence we've been taxed to pay. What twisted indifference from those who claim that Black lives matter and yet expect us to suspend reality, relegating our responses to unconnected actions without strategy. But in spite of that, we continue to demand what we are owed. And I specify demand because our dignity and right to thrive as persons are not and should never be a matter of negotiation. We demand the defunding of MPD's budget. Minneapolis have already committed to disbanding its police department. What's stopping D.C.? We demand that police be removed from D.C. schools. Having police in schools does not make students safer. The presence of police forces in our schools disproportionately criminalizes black and brown youth. We demand an investment in the community. As we divert financial resources from police, we must sustain long-term alternatives that prevent and address harm. This means investing in community-centered programs that prioritize public health. Imagine. Imagine what $18.5 million of the proposed MBT budget could do for the people. Reform will not save us, and respectability politics will not protect us. Until those furthest within the margins are free, none of us will be free. And that effort... The effort towards liberation moves forward with the defunding of the Metropolitan Police Department.
12: My name is Jennifer Musier. I'm a Ward 6 resident, and I'm an organizer with Sanctuary DMV, a solidarity group resisting policies and practices targeting the immigrant community in the D.C. area. I wanna name the folks who've been denied the opportunity to share their wisdom at this budget hearing. Local organizations like Vendedores Unidos who've been working with groups directly impacted by police terror. Sanctuary DMV joins our voice with their own. The MPD must be defunded. We've heard the stories of the three men killed by the MPD in five weeks. Two years later, their families still haven't seen justice and their killers haven't faced any accountability. Though kettling has been banned in the district, those of us who've seen the siege of Swan Street know that kettling is happening in practice, if not in name. The MPD has proven itself to be resistant to even the most minimal oversight and accountable to no one. The MPD, like ICE, has an intractable culture of cruelty. And though several mayors had prohibited NPD collaboration with ICE, NPD still shared information with ICE. They still handed people over to ICE after arrest. They stopped and frisked two men and then held them until ICE picked them up. Even after the passage of the Sanctuary Values Act, police were still forcing people into the deportation machine. In one case this past winter, the NPD called ICE twice to ensure that one man was picked up. Councilmember Allen, or our organizers have met with your staff. We've shared corroborating documents that show MPD's complicity with ICE. In one case, your staff members met with the resident before he was deported. These cases represent particularly vulnerable community members who've been ripped from their neighborhoods because the MPD continues to collaborate with ICE. These individual cases represent a systemic failing to focus on reforming behavior rather than changing the system as a whole is to remain complicit, to side with an organization that enacts the worst types of violence against black and brown families. As the district faces down a $750 million deficit, as needs for immigrant legal aid, affordable housing, and the violence interrupter programs are going unmet, it's particularly galling that the mayor has proposed to increase the police budget by $19 million. MPD must be defunded. If this council refuses to hold the police accountable, the people will certainly hold y'all accountable.
4: Thank you very much, Jennifer. appreciate it. Thanks everybody again for uh, this public panel and for the public witnesses and your testimony today. Let me turn to Amira Hassan. Whenever, Whenever you're ready. Thank you.
13: My name is Amir Hassan, I live in Ward 6, and I demand that we defund MPD. I was 22 when Trayvon Martin was murdered, 24 when Eric Garner and Mike Brown were murdered, 25 when Tamir Rice, Jamar Clark, and Stander Bland were murdered, 26 when Philando Castile, Alton Sterling were murdered, 28 when in the span of five weeks, Daquan Young, Marquise Alston, and Jeff Price were murdered by MPD. 29 when Breonna Taylor was murdered. 30 when George Floyd was murdered. I have spent the last eight years protesting state-sanctioned murders, screaming into the void that black lives matter. We're told that we must continue to subsidize and fund those killing and brutalizing us. We are told that policing is an essential service that needs an 18.5 million dollar increase in budget next year with 2.5 million dollars dedicated to putting more police in schools the dc school system has a 23 million dollar annual contract with the city's police department that pays for more than 300 private security guards and employs 17 armed officers who have police powers including the authority to arrest Police don't make our students safer. In D.C., nearly 100% of school-based arrests are youth of color. Let me repeat that. Nearly 100% of school-based arrests are youth of color. We demand that the police are taken out of schools. We demand that cutting funding for school resource officers and reallocating those funds to pay for mental health care and trauma-informed services in D.C. public schools. You can't arrest who you don't hunt. MPD still practices stop and frisk. In 2020, the Metropolitan Police Department still proudly utilizes the racist practice of stop and frisk. Nearly three quarters of the police stops conducted between July and December of last year were Black people, even though the Black residents currently only make up only 46% of D.C.'s population. For those unfamiliar with what stop and frisk is, let me use the words of Mayor Bowser's close friend and mentor, Mike Bloomberg. Male minorities 16 to 25, take the description, Xerox it, and pass it out to all cops. Stop and frisk has always and will always mean that being black or brown equates being guilty. We demand the immediate end to stop and frisk. Police do not keep our community safe. The things that keep communities strong and thriving, such as education, housing, and health care, are constantly underfunded. We are demanding that this city council and the mayor divest funding from what is not only a failing government service, but a brutal and violent institution. As people call defunding the police pie in the sky, they conveniently forget that unpoliced communities already exist and are thriving. Affluent and predominantly white neighborhoods in D.C. are not policed. Their children are not hunted. I support the demands and budget priorities of BYP 100, Stop Police Terror, D.C., and Black Lives Matter DMV. Thank you.
4: Thank you very much, Amira. And again, thanks to everybody on this panel for your testimony and for your time this afternoon. All right, we're going to move to the next panel of public witnesses. Um, I have uh, Dirakshan Raja, co-director for the Justice for Muslims Collective Rakshan, whenever you're ready, uh, your video's on. I think your audio's, uh, you're unmuted. So whenever you want to begin, uh, please feel free.
14: Great. Um- Good afternoon, council member. My name is Darakshan. I am a co-director of Justice for Muslims Collective. Um, We work towards building collective power of Black and Brown Muslim communities in the DMV region and recently have been providing COVID-19 mutual aid efforts, uh, particularly to Black and Brown Muslims in the DC area who have been excluded by federal and local government COVID-19 relief efforts. Um, Before I go into our work, I want to begin by remembering the names of Breonna Taylor, Tony McDade, George Floyd. Lloyd, and within D.C., Marquise Alston, Daquan Young, and Jeff Price, who were killed right here and whose mothers are still waiting to receive justice. At this point, it's absolutely enraging when we have heard on the ground, being the organizations that are responding to community members who don't have money for rent, for groceries, for healthcare, for childcare, to then know that the mayor is actually proposing to increase the budget for a law enforcement agency that terrorizes Black and Brown residents to construct a jail. It's absolutely unconscionable at this point. It's important to remember we're in the middle of a pandemic that has claimed the lives of a hundred thousand plus Americans. Within the district, over 75% of those who have died are actually Black residents. And that's because of the structural racism, the anti-Black racism that exists right here. Um, as a resident who particularly works within Ward 1 often, I have seen the police officers harass black and brown working class youth. These interactions are always rooted more in the display of power and control than in safety and care. A uniform, gun, and sirens don't make community members feel safe. That is not what people need. And so I really want to amplify the calls that Black Lives Matter DC, the broader movement for black lives have made within the district right now. Please do not add more Funding to MPD. They should not even get a cent in this moment. They already have $500 million in their budget. Why would you, in this moment, increase their budget? It's absolutely not understandable for any of us. In addition, I would say we need to also suspend and cancel rent and mortgage payments in D.C. until this COVID-19 crisis is over. One of the new crises we are actually facing, and it's not new, I apologize, it's been here, but evictions is going to be a big major problem for our black and brown working class residents right here. That is where money needs to actually go um, at this moment. In addition, It was really offensive to hear from D.C. council and the mayor that y'all did not have the budget to include undocumented workers or undocumented community members in D.C., which includes a big black immigrant community as well. But then again, you're putting in almost a billion dollars this year to the construction of a jail and policing in this particular D.C. right now. Um, In addition, as an organization that works around fighting Islamophobia, there's some additional recommendations we want to make around demilitarizing local. local police in particular. One, it's that MPD needs to pull out of the Joint Terrorism Task Force um, and follow the leadership of cities like Portland and San Francisco that will ensure in particular that MPD isn't deputized to gather intelligence. Um, In addition, you have to demilitarize the police by ending police exchanges. You have to make sure ensure that D.C. doesn't participate in the 1033 program, which provides D.C. with military weapons. And just in conclusion, again, I just want to say, during this moment of a pandemic. The fact that the council is trying to vote on increasing MPD's budget and to build a jail is absolutely offensive. We are here, we're watching, and we will hold you accountable if you increase this budget. Thank you.
7: Us vulnerable, also quite intolerable. Thinking we the best to pull all over these vegetables. I ain't living miserable, race and hate ain't invisible. Taking the indivisible, while my rights ain't admissible. If king is capital, queen is corona. If he holds the crown, she is the owner. Who is the master? Who's the controller? Can he give it up? Pass us over. Hello,
15: my name is Electra Bolota. Sayushi. she, her pronouns. I live in Ward 4. I'm a high school teacher. I'm against any expansion to the police and jails because by design, these are violent and oppressive institutions. I demand D.C. Council to defund MPD as one step towards abolishing the prison industrial complex. I have the privilege of speaking here today and acknowledge that this process has purposely excluded Black organizers actually doing the work to keep communities safe. Policing is everywhere for my Black students. They are targeted by Metro Police on the way to school and enter school through metal detectors. Last February, the police racially profiled my students, physically touching them and kicking them out of Petworth Library, one of the few free public spaces for youth. As black youth, their existence is seen as a threat, and this is why they are targeted by police. My students have been out of school for four months and will likely not return to school in the fall because D.C. has not provided basic needs in this pandemic, like healthcare, housing and relief for all, including undocumented people. I know that the jail you want to build is intended for my students and their families. DC has the highest incarceration rate in the country. It also has the highest rate of gentrification, another form of state violence. Black communities are purposely and strategically criminalized instead of cared for. The police forcibly remove black people from their communities, incarcerating and displacing them in order to take over neighborhoods, property, and resources to make space for white communities, the wealthy, real estate developers and corporate power. Two weeks ago, the police hit me, my friends and family at a protest, badly injuring us and permanently injuring my friend, killing us in. I have the privilege of healing. This is not the case for Marquise Austin, Terrence Sterling, Jeffrey Price, Dequan Young, Raphael Briscoe, who were all killed by police in DC. I do not want more training for police. I do not want more equipment for police. I do not want more integrated police or any for- reforms to the police. I want police out of all schools, no police unions, no surveillance, which includes ending contracts with Amazon and Amazon's Ring, no collaboration with ICE, no Cadet Academy, no stop and frisk, and shutting down D.C. jail where 89% of people detained are Black. When speaking with my students on what they would want to fund instead of a new jail, they made the following list: rec centers, free gyms, food banks, apartments for people experiencing homelessness, teen programs, tutoring, free health clinics, free daycare. I echo my students' demands. Finally, DC cannot afford to fund the police right now when COVID-19 is still a threat to so many, especially black and brown communities. My friend's mom was recently denied care and told to go home from Upper Cardoza Health Clinic, a severely underfunded clinic. She later died from COVID-19. We need health care and relief for everyone, including undocumented people and unemployed people quality public housing with permanent funds for repairs, quality health care, and educational programs to keep us safe.
0: You have been listening to part two of our presentation of D.C. residents testifying before the D.C. Council about policing on June fifteenth, 2020. Neither the emergency law nor the budget passed in recent weeks by the Council defunded the Metropolitan Police Department though police and Mayor Muriel Bowser were denied about $10 million of the $18 million increase they requested. In addition, that nearly $10 million saved is funding violence interruption programs, restorative justice programs demanded by the Movement for Black Lives, and police are no longer managing security inside of DC public schools. The emergency law, which includes several other new accountability measures and protections for the public against police violence, will be open for public comment and for a vote to make it permanent law in the fall. The June 15, 2020 hearing was officiated by Councilmember Charles Allen, chair of the Council's Committee on the Judiciary and Public Safety. And some updated news from that committee, Allen sent a letter Tuesday, August 4th, to the U.S. Secret Service about a July 31st incident reported in the Washington Post. US Secret Service agents allegedly used an official car to ram a car parked at the National Mall, then confronted the car occupants, two women, with their infants with raised weapons. They then handcuffed the two women, India Johnson and Yasmeen Winston, left the infants in the hot car for an hour and may have searched the car. Then the two women were released with no apology or explanation. And apparently the agents involved did not wear masks at the beginning of the encounter. Charles Allen wrote in his letter to the U.S. Secret Service, quote, the officer's response was beyond acceptable and further eroded trust between district residents, particularly residents of color and law enforcement. It has now traumatized both women, their children, their families and vicariously anyone who becomes aware of it, end quote. Allen asks the U.S. Secret Service to fully investigate what happened and provide his office with a briefing and any related video footage. And we will certainly continue to follow that case for you here on this show. And that will do it for today's episode of On the Ground, ground onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. Special thanks to Chantel James and thanks to our supporters on Patreon. You can also listen to all of our current and past shows on the website we maintain, onthegroundshow.org. And you can reach out to us and support us there as well. You can also let us know you like the show on Facebook, Twitter, or on Patreon at On the ground Show. Our new podcast is On the Ground Show with Esther Averam. that's on the ground, W Esther averam and that's on all your podcast platforms. Our new podcast, our social media pages and website all have a protest sign with green lettering that says On the Ground. The music we play this hour included No Fear by Megasife, A Few Words for the Firing Squad by Run the Jewels featuring Killer Mike and LP, Song for the Fallen by Kamasi Washington, and our theme music is Voodoo Child by Jimi Hendrix. I'm Esther Averam. Until next time, take good care. And keep raising your voice. Peace.